What is going on, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of the Everyday Sense podcast. I am Jack Richardson, joined by Brendan Parks. Folks, we are hitting the ground running here. We had our members pod that is coming out uh, at some point that will already have been out, I guess, when when by the time you're listening to this. And uh, we're now hitting, I guess, our third episode now. Um, and like I said, and like we've been talking about, there will never be a shortage of stuff to discuss for the Ottawa Senators, even during the dog days of the offseason. So uh, plan to get into today. And Brendan, uh, how, how's it going for you? Um, just in the midst of a, another first round of the playoffs. Yeah, it's going well. I mean, we've uh, had a ton of support on the, the first video there. So that's been awesome to see. It's still growing. So um, yeah, I've watched a few games. I know the Leafs could do it tonight, right? So if, uh, if that happens, I'll be staying off Twitter. But uh, otherwise, yeah, just been working on this stuff and excited to get going today. Yeah, we're hoping for every sense fan out there listening to this that there is a game six in the future and not. Uh, not, not, not the Leafs celebrating all over us and having a championship hangover for beating the first round. But we'll get it. We'll we'll stay away from that. Uh, we got uh, two big things we want to kind of discuss right now. And the first one is kind of some news that dropped the other day is that the Senators uh, will be joining the Minnesota Wild, the Detroit Red Wings, and the Toronto Maple Leafs in Sweden next November for the NHL Global Series. Now everyone will remember, obviously, in 2017, coming off of that Eastern Conference Final, the Senators went, and uh, that's obviously where Matt Duchesne made his debut against his former team in Colorado. Uh, and then it was all sunshine and rainbows and the Sens come back and everything fell apart. So Brennan, do you, do you have any, uh, I don't know, I guess reserves about, about this there, there probably isn't much to it, but I, I think it's just kind of weird that the Sens don't have a ton of Swedish players. They have two and it's Brandstrom and Forsberg. So it's not exactly your top pair or, you know, your stars, um, whereas the Wild and the Red Wings and even the Leafs have top-end talent that are Swedish. So uh, what, what do you make of the Sens being uh, selected to be one of the four teams? Yeah, I find it a little bit weird that they're going to Sweden. I think, didn't they do Germany this past year? So, I mean, that would have been pretty cool to have, like, Timmy versus uh, Dreisaitl. I think that would have been a cool series. Kind of weird they didn't do that. But Swedish-wise, I mean, I guess the Sens still have a lot of fans from the Carlson days. Like, I think a lot of a lot of people growing up in Sweden probably – resonated with Ottawa because of Carlson and he was like a huge Swedish mentor and he won the Norris back in the day and everything. Yeah, I know there was like a crazy amount of people kind of freaking out yesterday, like actually really upset and nervous that this is happening. The only reserve I have is that Ottawa loses two home games for it, which makes no sense that both games are considered home for them. But uh, otherwise, I mean, like there's no juju with Sweden. Like they're not going <laughs> to just ruin their season like they did, you know, in 2017. I don't think that really had anything to do with Sweden. I think it was a variety of things. So, um, yeah, I'm not too worried. I think it'll be kind of cool. I mean, you know, I'd love to go there, but <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. see. Yeah, it should be fun for the players. And I mean, it wasn't anyone on this team was not on that roster in 2017, obviously. Uh, I guess Thomas Shabbat was in the AHL and he was maybe close to being called up for it, but it'll be a cool experience for the guys. And, and honestly, I, I don't, I don't mind it because November has been two black to back seasons right now. November has been a crutch for this team and maybe doing something like this can, can change that. And, and uh, I, I know that the schedule for the last two seasons has been pretty similar in November for the Sens. Like they played Vegas twice in both years. They played Tampa. Like it was, it was oddly similar, I think back to back years. So maybe something like this, even if it's small, can just kind of throw the sends into a different kind of groove. The other thing too, I think is is interesting about it is, like I mentioned with the non-high profile Swedish players in Brandstrom and Forsberg, perhaps this is a, I don't know if it's a nod that this is going to happen or maybe an enticing factor for 
a Mr. Number 11 in Ottawa to come back into the fold in, in a front office role potentially, or um, I know he's mentioned he wants to coach. I mean, maybe Daniel Alfredson is, is the future coach of the Ottawa Senators, but um, I would imagine that if he's involved in any capacity, this is obviously he's, he's going to be the biggest marketer there in, of the four teams. It's going in. Then you can get, you know, Lindstrom from the Red Wings and you can get uh, all these other Swedish legends like Zetterberg who have played on these four teams to kind of um, promote hockey in Sweden, I guess. But you're right. I think Germany made a lot more sense. So I'm wondering what happened there. Like maybe the Oilers couldn't swing it or something like that. Like, I, I don't know, but Ger- Germany is definitely going to happen at some point with Dreisaitl and Stutzel. For sure, yeah. I mean, uh, they've been starting to market that already. But that's a good point on Alfredson. I hadn't really thought of that, actually. And I know... Like I know Matthias Nordstrom is in one of the uh, bidding groups too for for buying the Sens. I think he's with uh, Nico Sparks. But yeah, Alfie. I mean, I think Alfie's definitely going to be a part of the team in some capacity. I think he's like he's been pretty open too about talking about how he wants to be involved and any love being around the players this year. I would kind of think he'd be in a front office role of some sort, like in a some sort of hockey operations role. It would be cool to see him on the bench though, even as an assistant coach, that'd be pretty awesome. I think, you know, getting him on the ice with the players would be a huge benefit to, to really everybody. Um, but yeah, I mean, that'll definitely be something I think he could go out and, and walk around before the game and kind of like, you know, meet a bunch of fans in Sweden. It, it would just be good for the game. Sweden's a pretty good hockey country as well, but uh, they only have two Swedes right now, right this summer, see what happens. Maybe they do sign a Jesper Frost or somebody. So um, yeah, maybe this will entice him to do that. That's true. Yeah, we, we shouldn't make any assumptions now because I think everything's up in the air. And that kind of can lead us into our next segment. And uh, this is a, gr- a great idea that, that, that you had. And let's talk about some underrated Sens players. And we're not going to really set parameters on who it has to be, but we're going to say like an NHL player, not a guy who maybe played five games like a I, I don't I, I don't know about you. I'm not going to count Ridley Gregg, um, just a guy like that. Like we know that a top prospect is going to be underrated. Um, so what we're going to do is just just pick two. Brennan, I'll let you go first. We're going to pick two guys who are on the roster this season that you think um, didn't get as much love that they should have gotten or maybe weren't even talked about enough. Uh, and, and you can go ahead here. All right, yeah. I'm going to go, and I tweeted about this guy the other day because there's been a lot of a lot of criticism after uh, after Mark Mathod spoke about him, but uh, I'm going to go with Artem Zub. And I'm not saying Zub was as good as he was in – like last season or anything, I think he had his struggles. I think he regressed a little bit. And I don't want to use injuries as an excuse either, but uh, he did definitely deal with a lot of injuries throughout the year. It was hard for him to get into a rhythm. Uh, it's the defense that makes this point kind of kind of sit with me because the Sens were, I think they averaged 2.82 goals against per 60 minutes, which was like among the lower half of the NHL. I mean, they weren't overly good defensively. They gave up a lot of goals. But Zub was at like 2.16 goals against per 60 minutes, which is a significant drop off. Like that's way better than than the team did. And that's kind of what I look for with stats. And I don't want to rely completely on numbers here. Like Zub, if you watch him, he did have his blemishes and his mistakes and, and he didn't look quite as good or clean. But I think, you know, you look at the numbers and you look at how he performed so much better defensively than the team. And then you factor in the situation. So he, I believe he led the team in average uh, defensive zone starts per 60 minutes, and then he had the least amount of offensive zone starts. So he was pretty much entirely placed in defensive situations. And then you look, and I think he was one of four players who had a positive 5v5 goal differential as well. So you factor in that he was almost like exclusively played in defensive situations, and yet he still produced quality numbers and didn't, like the team was better with him on the ice in the defensive zone. Like it's not even an opinion, it's a fact. You just have to look at the numbers. 
Um, I do agree, though, that his offense was lacking. Uh, I don't know how many points he even got this year. I think he had 10 points in 53 games with three goals. Definitely lacking, and I think, I know thought the way he said, they said, like, he could be a third-pairing guy, and I think that kind of sits with the points because you want your top four defensemen, all four of them, even if they're shut-down guys, you want them to produce, right? You want them to at least put up reasonable points and, and you know, even secondary assists, whatever it is. It's just kind of part of the role. Um, but I mean, I, I think we'll see him improve in that aspect next season. Like as the sense forward group com- continues to progress and he's playing with the Timmies of the world, like he, he's going to automatically put up points for now. My main point is that he really impressed me defensively. And that's an area where the team kind of struggled and, and had no structure. So to have a player like that is, is very important. So I know I'm higher on him than most people, but hopefully that changed a few people's mind. I think that's a good. I think that's a good point. Yeah. I, I, uh, with Zub, I think he was injured maybe three separate times this year, and you could tell that when he was coming back from the injury, he even, he wasn't he still wasn't a hundred percent. And and that's not to say he was playing through something he should have been playing from, but this guy, he, like he had a broken jaw from a from a puck in the face. Like that's going to be uncomfortable. For, that that changes your life. That's not just a way at the rink. Like, and he played through that too. Like he didn't just wait right. until it recovered. He had the cage on, right? Exactly. The... Exactly. Yeah. So 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 you can see you can maybe see that in some of his games he was a bit behind the play a little bit, wasn't as physical. And I think I, I'm going to chalk that up to injuries. But the thing was this season when he was on and when he was playing physical and when he was being that shut down D man and mostly when he was beside Jake Sanderson. I completely agree. I think he was an absolutely uh, a great top four defenseman. So I've I've got no issue, I guess, with with considering he might be on a third pairing at some point. But we're at the point where the third pairing for the Sens is good. Like it's not a it's not an average third pairing. Like we're talking Brandstrom Zub maybe if if everything works out. Like that's a great third pairing. So um, yeah, I, I think that's a good pick for for your first one there. I can go ahead with my my first one. Um, I'm going to go with a guy who we kind of mentioned earlier with the Sweden trip. I'm going with Anton Forsberg. Uh, I thought that Forsberg, especially right before he got hurt, I kind of want to punt, contextualize this a little bit. So he got hurt the game after the All-Star break. So the Sens had an 11-day break. It was, it was the All-Star and they had their bye week. So it was a huge break. But before that, the Sens won four straight. Forsberg played all four, including a back-to-back situation. He was He was becoming a, you know... He was ramping up, and I think Pierre Dorian mentioned it in, in his end-of-season press conference. He said in all, all of Forsberg's career, when we've had him or whatever, he's had slow starts, and you know, in the second half, he's really picked it up. And I think we were watching that happen. Um, and even, I guess, in that Edmonton game, it wasn't his best game, but that's, that, that, that's not a game I'm going to analyze. But unfortunately, obviously, he, he blows out both MCLs on the same play, which is just a terrible injury to happen. But I think right before that, I was starting to get confident in Forsberg every single night. I believe he is top 20, maybe top 15 in goals saved above, above expected for all the goalies in the NHL, which is nothing to scoff at. Um, and the reason I like Antoine Forsberg so much is, A, I think he's on a decent contract if he can be a 1A, 1B guy. He's, he's, it's decent because it leaves you the flexibility to go get another 1A, 1B. So that's you got to factor that in. Also... I like him because we've had Matt Murray, we've had Philip Gustafson now leave the Sens and then go to other teams who are defensive juggernauts in Toronto and Minnesota. And both of them have made comments about Ottawa's, you know, their structure or whatever. And and they're right. Like, they're not wrong. They absolutely have the right to say that they give up too many high danger chances. The reason I like Forsberg is because he did well under this system and he did well under the system. So in a way, he's kind of justifying the way the Sens play when all these other goalies are kind of, you know, 
doing better other in other places. So it's maybe maybe a bit of a soft spot for Forsberg, but I think he was a little bit overlooked. I think Talbot was the storyline all season. Um, and, and I have full confidence he's going to bounce back. I really do have confidence in him as a as a 1A, 1B next season. So Anton Forsberg is my first underrated player. I don't think he got enough love this season. Yeah, and I love Anton Forsberg. Like, I, I have a lot of confidence in that guy, and I know he's going to be kind of a risk coming back from injury. But um, I think I said it there recently, but I wrote about it during last summer about comparing him to Talbot a little bit because, again, you bring in Talbot, and the thing is, like, yeah, he was an all-star, and, and there's all this hype around him, right? But I looked at the numbers, and Forsberg for the last, well, his first real year in the NHL with Ottawa, full, first full season, he had much better numbers than Talbot. And I kind of saw that this year too. And I actually just wrote an article on goalies today and the team played far worse in front of Forsberg this year. And, and for some reason, I don't know what, I don't know if it's just that first November stretch kind of like uh, balancing the numbers a bit, but um, they played far worse in front of Forsberg. Like he was facing way more high danger shots, way more quality chances and expected goals. So um yet he still put up better numbers than Talbot and Sogard. Um, so I think Forsberg's definitely your, your starting goalie right now. I, I'd feel confident entering next season with him as your 1-1-A one, one type guy where it's going to be, he's going to be playing the majority of the games, whether that's, you know, 40 games, whatever it is. Other than that, yeah, I'm going to get into my next one. So I'm actually going to go with Mark Kastelik. And it's interesting because a lot of people don't see him on the team next year. I've seen a lot of lineup projections where, where it's people saying, you know, you have to get rid of that whole fourth line, you have to replace that bottom line. And and I think people forget that Kastelik, he's a young guy, right? Like this, he's 23 right now or 24. I think he's 23. Uh, and he didn't produce at a great rate. He had seven goals and 11 points through 65 games. So the depth scoring is a problem and you need to upgrade that. But like Zub, uh, and you can take it for what it's worth, I look at the situations they were placed in. So Kastelik only played eight minutes and 54 seconds per game, which was the lowest on the Sens and, and kind of a little outrageous, to be honest with you, because you had Dylan Gambrell playing almost 12 minutes. But anyways, we won't talk about the, the deployment. Uh, otherwise, he, he actually had the most defensive zone starts per 60 minutes on the team and fourth most in the NHL. Fourth most in the entire NHL, 19 0.06 defensive zone starts per 60 minutes and only six starts in the offensive zone per 60 minutes. So come back to production and everything and scoring, but and your fourth line is not going to start in the offensive zone a whole lot, but he was like even more so than Zub exclusively starting in the defensive zone and playing in those situations. Um, seven goals. I mean, if you factor in the, the minutes, right, if you added in a couple extra minutes for him, he probably produces closer to whatever it is, 15, 20 points. And that's still really only as a, a rookie, right? I mean, he played 65 games. I don't think he played a whole lot last year. Um, but, yeah, he also had a 56.9 face-off win percentage, which was among the, the team leaders for sure, and that got us out. I think he took a lot of defensive zone face-offs, obviously, which are crucial. So, as a whole, Kastelik, I think, is my second one. I really like him, too. He's physical. Uh, he is, you know, like I said, he's good at face-offs, but he had 154 hits as well. Um Overall, you want him to you want him to produce more, but I'm gonna take him over a Dylan Gambrell. I'm gonna take him over Parker Kelly. I'm gonna take him over Austin Watson. Right, I'm gonna keep him in that fourth line role. Like, I haven't pegged in on as that fourth line center right now for a long time, just because I think he's a cheap option too. Right, you're not gonna pay yeah. Mark Castle like more than ugh, you could get him for a million or less probably. So well, he um, he is he's extended. I think with yeah. a, he extended earlier this year. It was eight something I think yeah. per year. Like it was barely a raise on his current deal. Which, That's a which, good deal. Like that is a great. very good deal. And you need those guys. Yeah, you need them. Because even entry level contract, like we're pinching hundreds of thousands of dollars here. Like, 
an entry level contract is nine twenty five now, I believe. So like that's that's expensive. That's not nothing. And Castle looks what a hundred thousand cheaper than that. Like that's value right there. And and if he's better than a Gambrell at a million and whatever, then absolutely it's a no brainer. I think that's a great pick. Well, I think you look around the league too, and if you look at every fourth line center, I'm going to take Mark Castlick over a lot of them. A lot of them yeah, are fringe, yeah. you know, these fringe NHL guys who don't like they don't really produce a lot, but they also aren't good at faceoffs. They also aren't like scoring any goals. And again, no, he didn't score a lot of goals, but I also look to the less than nine minutes of ice time. I'd kind of look to improve that a little bit, maybe give him a penalty killing role as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'd take him over a lot of players. I'd take him over a lot of the guys we've seen over the last four or five years, that's for sure. I, I'd be curious to see him under another coach. Uh, not not because I think he would succeed under another coach. I think DJ Smith hockey is his style. So I'd be interested to see him under another coach because I do think the tools are there. He's a unit. He's an absolute beast. I don't know if all this behind the scenes of the Sens stuff and he they're they're all I think it was that uh, Broussard thousand game ceremony everyone's wearing the same shirt and he's just hulking out of it it's crazy yeah it's nuts it's nuts so I, I love I love Mark Kasselik in in the that fourth line center spot I'm I'm with you I've got him penciled in there he's he's under contract it's his spot to lose essentially um and and, and I, I mean they got to qualify Gambrell and everything so I'd be shocked if they aren't handing that spot to Kasselik so uh, I'll go into my second player here. And I'm just moving a, fr- a bit further up the depth chart, but the same position. I'm going with Shane Pinto. I think that this was a very interesting season for Pinto. Uh, coming off of a a lost season, he played, what, five, six games maybe? He, did, he had he basically had the Josh Norris of 2023. Um, he, he came back and tried to come back too early. So this was his official rookie season. Played a full year, 82 games, which is impressive. And I think the Sens only had five or six players who played 82 games. And he was one of them. Um, playing tough minutes, like we're, we're talking, like every time Stutzel's out there against the Bergeron line, well, oh, Pinto's out there against Krejci and Hall and 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 you know and Pasternak. Like that's not a not not nothing to scoff at. So also twenty goals, he came out of the gates really hot. I'm the reason I'm going with Shane Pinto. I don't have, I don't think his advanced numbers were good. That second line was not good, and he was probably a reason because a uh, reason why. Sorry, but the fact that he was thrust into that role and. Everyone I know who's a Sens fan, and us included, everyone talking about it this season is saying, this team will be better because Josh Norris is going to be back in that second line center role. But that also means we're going to be better because Shane Pinto is going to be in the third line center role. So it's 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 not like we're having questions about his future or anything like that. I think that the the reason I think he's underrated is because we're underrating not just Norris coming back, but also Pinto sliding down. Because now you've got... I would consider him a top six forward. I think 20 goals is a top six forward number. I think that now you've got a third line with a top six forward on it, and then you can build around that. So when they're all healthy up the middle, I love Shane Pinto. And I think I think maybe a 20-goal rookie season, if you asked me that before the year, I would have taken that in a heartbeat. But the way it started so fast, and then he was thrust into that second line role, um, and the way that Batherson and Dabrinkit struggled to finish all season, like I think they were, they were in the bottom of the league in terms of 5v5 finishing. and. Batherson, I think, had four even strength goals or something like ridiculous. So um, I'm not I'm not gonna blame Champinto for all of that. It was just a bunch of factors that I think we underappreciated how good of a rookie season he had. Um, and so that's that's my second underrated player there, Shane Pinto. Yeah, and Pinto, I like your point too about being thrusted up because people you talk about depth scoring, you need depth players, right? And you need to, you need production because I mean the top six was just relied on so heavily this year that I can't even believe how Tim Stutzel and Brady Kachuk produced those points because they had to do everything, right? Um, and Norris will help with that for sure. But yeah, people look and kind of say, 
we have to go find players on the market and we have to go sign these players. But like if you do a depth chart, and I'd like to actually go through and do the whole list in one of these episodes, but you look at it and like now you're gonna have Shane Pinto on the third line, like you said, right? You're probably gonna have Ridley Gregg on the third line. And these two, like these are guys who, I mean, Pinto, like you said, scored 20 goals. I mean, he's he's a good goal scorer, and I think he's gonna be driving play a lot better too. Because he even said himself, like this season he was really focusing on kind of recovering from that injury and being comfortable and just kind of because, I mean, you have a season-ending injury, and it's not just, oh, I'm in pain. It's mental now, right? It's it's not just physical. Now you're feeling like this is going to happen again. So you've got to take time to really get used to playing on it again. And I think Pinto, at the end of the year, he said, you know, he'd like to do a little more. He'd like to be a little more of a play driver. But he was just really happy to get through 82 games and have comfort with that shoulder this year. Um, so next year, I think he comes in even hotter. Obviously not playing with the Debrinkets of the world. Maybe he doesn't score as many goals or whatever it might be. But... At the same time, like you said, he's not facing the Pasternak's. He's not facing the Krejci's. He's going to have better matchups, right? And he's one of those players who I think playing less minutes won't hurt him. It'll probably help him, right? I don't think having less responsibility is a, a burden to him. I think it's a plus. So, yeah, I'm expecting big things from him next year. Uh, same with Ridley Gregg, too. I know we're not using him as an underrated, but I'd almost mention him just because I think he led the Sens in, like, almost every metric in the 20 games he had. It's a small sample size, but... Uh, he was excellent, I thought, and if he can put on a few pounds this summer, he's going to be a big contributor next year as well. Yeah, that, that's that's Greg's biggest challenge, I think, is just putting on weight. And we can get in. Uh, I want to mention another prospect, not underrated, but maybe maybe an underthought of prospect. I don't know. We'll definitely get into that at some point this summer, but maybe after the draft too. But um, Zach Ostopchuk, I, I I think this is a guy who they signed right out of camp in that first year, his rookie season. He's an absolute stud. I think I think he's uh, Nick Paul, the second coming of Nick Paul. Um, the size, the ranginess. I think he he just works. He works. He works. So I think that left wing. This is like we're we're obviously going to talk about this all summer, but that left wing spot or right wing. I don't know what Joseph plays, and I am I am keeping Matthew Joseph on that third line for. A, I almost put Joseph as one of my underrated players to be honest, because I I love I love his game still. He just couldn't score. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, if we're going to blame Joseph for not scoring, we got to blame Dabrinkit for not scoring because they both missed a ton of golden opportunities this year. So uh, I, I'm going to think about that left wing or whatever wing spot and and think of a guy like Ridley Gregg versus a guy like Zach Ostopchuk. If they're both up for that position, I you got to go with size sometimes. I know it's not a, a big man's league anymore. And especially up front, you can definitely get away with being smaller, but I love that size for Ostopchuk. You've got Joseph, a speedy winger. You've got Pinto, who's a guy who can create space for everyone. I just can see that line working out really well. Uh, and I can, I mean, I can also see this, say the same thing for Ridley Gregg, but Gregg might have to move up to the second line because there might not be number 12 there. So there's a lot of mitigating factors here with that forward core. The biggest thing that's huge for Sensors, I think we, we both said it, the middle of the ice is solidified. You've got Stutzel, Norris, Pinto, and it should be Kastelik. That's That's all you need. And that should be the same way for another five years, to be honest, because uh, these guys are are all what under twenty three. I think they're all twenty three and, and under. So um, not a bad time to be a Sens fan if you're a fan of the middle of the ice. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and, and we're kind of past the point of prospects now, and everybody's you know focusing on the current core. But even when you look at people who rank the prospects, and, and it's like Ottawa's really low now. It, I don't really care about that because we're more looking at the young pipeline, right? It, it's like if you look at the under twenty five core. There's a lot of good players, and even prospects-wise, yeah, Stopchuk. So I just got his stats up, 
and he's got, since being traded to Winnipeg this year from Vancouver, he's, he had 38 points, so 21 goals and 38 points through 34 games, and in the playoffs, he's got 7 goals and 9 points in 9 games, and he's got like 2 overtime winners as well, he's doing really, really well, uh, and over a point per game in total in the, in the WHL this year, so yeah, I, I was big on him last year, I remember I, I had some fun on Twitter where I was kind of betting that he'd make the team, because like Foreman did that one year where he just plays the 9 games and whatever, um, didn't happen, but he's got the size, and he's when they drafted him, I said he's kind of like, when I watch his clips, he reminds me of Logan Brown, but faster. Like a better skating Logan Brown. He's got yeah, the hands, he's got the offense, he's got a good shot, and he's got that offensive mindset, but he's not slow like Logan Brown. He doesn't have the heavy boots. He can actually move. So, yeah, um, yeah he's a guy, he's one of my favorite prospects for sure. Um, could he make the team next year? I mean, it, it could be one of those bold things. It just comes back to there's some risk there because you don't know. I mean, physically, he might be ready, but is he ready mentally? Is his, you know, can he process the game fast enough? Love to see him in Belleville, though. I think he'd dominate in Belleville. So hopefully we see that. And yeah, one of my fav- favorite prospects for sure. I think we'll, we'll definitely get into it at some point. We'll, we'll, we'll you know, work around uh, uh, who should, you know, push for a spot on that third line or something like that. We'll do our mock lineups and everything. But look, the Sens prospect pool, I think, since 2021 and, and has been kind of depleted because they've all graduated to the NHL. But like you said, it doesn't matter if they're ranked lower. It's because their top 10 is probably full of guys who can play effectively on a third line. Like, yeah, let's say if uh, Pinto wasn't in the lineup yet and they already had a third line center, where are you going to put them? You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of thing you need to draft. And people might roll their eyes at this, and, and I'm going to defend the sense drafting a little bit, is if you're sticking to a plan and a rebuild, they drafted their studs. They've got them in the lineup. The top line guys are there right now eating those minutes already and being effective at it. So why would I draft another guy who I want to be a first line center? And I know that might be a different philosophy than some people because it's an embarrassment of riches, blah, blah, blah. But in a cap world, I don't hate it. I don't hate having Zach Ostopchuk, Ridley Gregg, and even Tyler Boucher now fighting for a third line spot where they can be effective. Like, I don't, I don't hate that at all. Yeah, you definitely, and you need those guys on the ALCs and the younger guys, right? Because even even a Pinto is not going to cost you a whole lot of money. Like, they'll sign him to a bridge deal two or three years, and you've got, I mean, that's two or three more years to kind of figure it out. Um, but yeah, there, there is going to be some really good competition even next year in the bottom six. Like, I don't think a Boucher could make it next year, for example, but um, you're going to have the Sokolovs, you're going to have even the Jarventi, you're going to have these guys who have been, Crookshank, right, is another one who I literally think could make the team and play well next year. Yep. Um, but yep. it comes back to the competition. Like they all have to play against each other. And that's how you build a winning team though, that you, you have these guys who have to earn the spot, right? It's not just, we're going to hand it to you. You have to earn it. So you look at Belleville right now and you, you could just go to their stats and you could look at the top few guys and those guys are all going to be competing next year. And it's going to make yeah. Ottawa's bottom six better for sure. I'm going to save it because I think we'll definitely talk about yeah. that maybe in the next episode, but um, because you just mentioned like three guys right there that I even forgot about. So you've probably got about six or seven players fighting for maybe one spot because i know people want them yeah just load up the youth on that fourth line too but i'm a little bit wary on that because i think i think you need a a fourth line that that has has experience right you don't want you don't want to not want to throw your fourth line out because they're they're young and protecting them like this is a win now situation the fourth line plays in hard situations right so you kind of have yeah yeah like you just mentioned cast like in 90 what six percent of his draws were in the face-offs or in the uh defensive zone sorry so like i don't want to be throwing your venti in that situation like that's not something i want to do so anyway um we'll move on here and, and we we kind of didn't really mention this off the top but it's a it's a bit of a story because now officially or not officially yet but 
as of right now in the NHL, the two oldest buildings are one, the Saddle Dome in Calgary, and two, the Canadian Tire Center in Ottawa. And the city of Calgary and the province of Alberta just announced the multi-billion dollar um, uh, event center that's going to be built in Calgary. And the thinking is that it's not announced yet, but the thinking is that the Flames are going to lease out that arena. Now, originally, I saw the tax dollars being thrown around and I was I was taken taken aback. I was like, this is crazy. Um, I believe it's close to 800 million from the city or something like that. And then maybe uh, 300 from the province or maybe it's 800 total, but it's a lot of tax dollars because it's a city owned arena. I don't see that happening in Ottawa, but I do see new owners, whoever it is coming in and saying to Mayor Mark Sutcliffe, look, their public funding might be needed if it's going to be an event center. If you don't want it to be an event center, we'll just make it a rink. That's kind of the the vibe I'm getting from it. Um, what did you take away from that Calgary proposal? Because officially soon the Canadian Tire Center is going to be the oldest building in the NHL without a future. Yeah, I haven't looked too, too much into it. I mean, I definitely, the tax dollars also kind of, it doesn't look too good to me. Uh, I know there's a lot of outrage out there. And I mean, if Ottawa follows a similar path, which, which hopefully it's not, but if they do, it would really suck to have the excitement of a new arena like that being announced. And then, you know, you, you come through with, it's going to be the, the taxpayers and then everybody's really angry about it. That would just be unfortunate because it's, it's for Ottawa, especially it's going to be one of the more exciting times is when they really finally announce. you know, we've been waiting for this for how long now it's been years and years. So when they finally announce that this is happening, I don't want the first reaction to be, we don't want this. This sucks. Like you're doing it wrong. Yeah. So I'm, I'm putting up that Sweden trip thing again, because I'm going to, I'm going to take everyone back in a time machine to fall of 2017. All right. They go on that Sweden trip. They come back in November November again, like they, that was just a disaster. They were falling off a cliff. Outdoor game in Ottawa is mid-December. That's when Eugene, the late Eugene Melnick said, if made those comments, infamous comments about, you know, if there's, if you have a McDonald's, you'll move it down the street if you're not getting people or whatever. Uh, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but that was, that was the gist of it. And that just started the absolute storm that happened after. The point is that was the time, I think around then, that the uh, Breton Flats, was being discussed and we're now six years uh, from that we would have if, if shovels were in the ground at that time we would have been in Le Breton already um so i believe that the, at the recent hearing it was it wasn't much of a decision or anything but the ncc i believe it's called they said that they wanted or that they, they they think that when shovels are in the ground hopefully by this fall it'll be about four years so that's the 27 28 season um and that's when you know Kachuk and Shabbat are up and, and Batherson like like it's so far down the line but it's also not it's only four years away uh so I, I just bring that up because it's kind of coming full circle a little bit right like the Sens are going back to Sweden this fall again for the global series and this fall is also another decision on Le Breton um but all that being said new ownership coming in is the big story obviously this summer um because it's going to change everything so uh Brandon, I don't, I don't, this might be a bit of a shorter episode. I don't know how much else we have to get into here, but uh, let, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to the Leafs because it's funny. Um, if, let's say, we're talking and people are listening to this and watching this when the Leafs have made it to the first, the, past the first round, past the Tampa Bay Lightning, do you see Tampa as the team that's going to fall off next season just based on no young players coming up? They, they are depleted. I, I can see both sides as, oh, they've got rest now, but I don't know, man. I, I, I think I'm looking at Tampa and saying that's the team Ottawa is going to overtake. 
Yeah, I don't love that type of team anymore. I mean, I look at them and, and I watch them play, and, and they do good things. I mean, they still have star power, right? But, like, even the Stamkos, and he, like, he's going to be your older, the headman, right? He's going to be your older. So I do definitely think they're, they're a vulnerable team for Ottawa to kind of target. And, I mean, this is going to be sort of bold because they're still so good right now, but Boston's got to fall off at some point, too. Like, they're so old. I don't even know how they're as good as they are because their roster is so old. Everybody thought they'd miss the playoffs this year. Like, we thought we'd be jumping them. So I don't know how they did it this year, but it, it props to them. But, I mean, at some point, like, Bergeron is going to be gone. Krejci's going to be gone. You're going to, like, they can't keep going like they are. So those two teams in the next few years are going to be vulnerable. Pittsburgh's already fallen off, right? Washington's fallen off. Uh, it's going to be kind of Ottawa, Buffalo. I guess Detroit's coming too, but we're going to be competing with those teams to to grab the wildcard spot probably. I don't think the Islanders either will, or, or, or like they should be able to pass the Islanders, I think, anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I'd consider those teams kind of the ones you're targeting to pass. Uh, and it really just, again, it comes down to like, if Ottawa had a good November month, they would have passed them already. They would have been in the playoffs right now. So it comes back to just focusing on your own game and being able to to start well. Because if you go one and 10, in any month of the season, the odds are you're not making the playoffs. Yeah, all those one goal or like empty net goal games, like they weren't. That I think that hurts more. They weren't even playing poorly. Uh, they they were playing so well. They just could not score. They could not score. Uh, so yeah, that that was a painful month in November, but uh, it, it was a sign of things to come. This team has obviously got got the jam. We we've been over everything. So um, thank you everyone for listening to the Everyday Sense podcast. This has been episode two. Before we go. Uh, we've got the uh, members pod that was out yesterday too. Yes. So we yes. we did talk about a lot of stuff there, which is why this one's a bit of a shorter episode. I yeah, think we had like yeah. forty nine minutes yesterday on the members one, getting into a bunch of stuff. So yeah. So if everyone's if, if people are unfamiliar about the members podcast, head over to everydaysends dot com and subscribe, and then Brennan will add you to uh, the close friends story on Instagram. And through that, every probably every week, maybe every two weeks, we're gonna uh, put out a story, but a mailbag, and you can just ask us anything, and we'll talk about it and. Uh, episode one is up right now over at everydaysends.com so go subscribe to see that out uh, for free subscriptions head over to youtube like and comment please and subscribe uh, we, we, we're very very happy with all the support so far it's only been i guess like five days here and we're um we're hitting the ground running so thank you to everyone who, who's uh supported us and, and we'll see you guys uh, uh next week